If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Discussing pressing issues. The Aussie Cossack on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back to the Aussie Cossack Show. Saturday Night Live on TNT Radio. Uh, Welcome to all our listeners and viewers watching via multiple streaming services now. Uh, Telegram, YouTube, uh, X, and make sure you like, subscribe, and share. Get the word out there. You never know when you might uh, be relying on TNT Radio as potentially your only source of uh, truth and information as the government tightens the noose in Australia uh, and in the West, in Western countries, over freedom of speech and alternative uh, sources of information. They're cracking down hard and fast on anyone that disagrees with the narrative but surely surely there are voices inside the government there are voices inside the mainstream media who understand that it can accept uh, that uh, there is a role to play for independent media without independent media it would all be a one-sided affair it really is uh, a one-sided affair at the moment uh, but we're fighting back we are the underdogs and an australian always loves to support an underdog whether it's in a cricket match or in a footy match, uh, in a war or in the media, uh, we know that our listeners and our supporters uh, have our support. So share this link wherever you're watching, get the word out there. Uh, For the next hour, we're going to be joined uh, by a colleague, another independent journalist, uh, the editor of uh, a quite large and influential uh, telegram group called Slavian Grad uh, with 86,000 subscribers. Uh, from day one of the special military operation, the team at Slavyangrad have been tirelessly uh, working, reporting, uh, bringing uh, the first-hand information from the front lines, from the war zone, with analysis, with military analysis and opinions uh, on the latest and the front lines. Uh, this is a very important service that is being played, and I don't think any side anticipated the rise and importance of independent media sources. This special operation, this conflict has uh, changed the dynamic of war reporting, where war is played out live on your Telegram app, where you're getting live reports exactly what's going on on the battlefield in many uh, ways, in many instances, well before even official sources are receiving these reports, even before intelligence agencies uh, of various governments know what's going on in the battlefield. If you're subscribed to Telegram, and uh, by all means, check out Aussie Cossack Telegram, uh, Slavengrad Telegram, and I'm even told now that TNT Radio has a, a small but growing Telegram channel where you can go over and subscribe to. Uh, it's changed the dynamic and the nature of how we view war. Uh, shocking scenes, especially with drone footage, especially with uh, drones capturing uh, battles on shocking scenes, hand-to-hand combat, and uh, in many cases, uh, there should be content warnings on many of the things that are being uh, floated around. Uh, So it's important to uh, have uh, ethics, even towards the enemy. And in this case, of course, the Russians don't really consider uh, the Ukrainians as enemies. Uh, Vladimir Putin this week in his address uh, talked about the Ukrainians as being a brotherly nation, as this being a civil war. Uh, that's true. It, it absolutely is true. Uh, that's the problem. And the Americans don't care. NATO doesn't care. Germany doesn't care. The British don't care how many Ukrainians die. 
They don't care how many are thrown into the meat grinder and how many lose their lives for the sake of uh, NATO and for the sake of Zelensky. It is a shame that the Russians really do care. Uh, and that's why the Russians have been very careful in the way they have been conducting their conflict. So at the end of the day, uh, don't forget to uh, explore all other forms of media when you're looking at a conflict. But if you're listening to TNT Radio, you're probably already awake and you're already on the ball and you understand that uh, what CNN tells you, what BBC tells you, uh, what the mainstream tells you if you're in Australia, what 2GB tells you, what Channel 9 tells you, uh, should all be taken with a grain of salt and shouldn't be trusted at all. You should have a healthy mistrust in what the government is trying to spoon feed you always. Uh, so that's the lesson that uh, many of us in the West have learned over the last few years. And just as the Russian military has become a veteran of combat in the West, uh, people who work and operate in the informational space, journalists, uh, they have also become veterans of dealing with misinformation, of dealing with uh, countering uh, misinformation, countering disinformation. Uh, only 16 hours ago in the Kremlin, there was a meeting, Vladimir Putin had a meeting with the, with the heads of the Russian political parties. And one of the heads of the parties, uh, the LDPR party, Leonid Slutsky, underscored the need for broadcasting, uh, foreign broadcasting in the West that the message is not getting across. It's important to get the message across. I believe, and I agree with Leonid Slutsky, that if we are able to get the message across, we're able to broadcast in a language, in a certain uh, approach and a delivery of that message, which is appropriate for Western audiences, that is how we will achieve peace. Because peace will come when the weapons will stop flowing to Ukraine. Peace will come when the money will stop flowing to the Nazi regime in Kiev. Then both sides, the Ukrainians and Russians, will sort out their differences and live happily ever after because it is an internal affair. This is a country that was part of Russia for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there have been many attempts by different powers, for example, the Germans, to also uh, rifle up the Ukrainian nationalism in the 1940s. Many Ukrainians joined SS, uh, German Nazi divisions. And this is the same sort of thing, the same type of approach that NATO is having towards the Ukrainian population who has been captured and brainwashed and enslaved by a Nazi government. Saddest of all, they're mobilizing and recruiting many Ukrainians from Russian-speaking regions, from South and the East and the Kharkov region, the Odessa region. These people don't deserve to be killed on the front line. These are Russians. These are Orthodox people. And that's why Russia has been so careful and so restricted in its use of military power, which of course it has, but it doesn't use it. And that's when you know Vladimir Putin is a gentleman. Vladimir Putin is not Netanyahu, who is indiscriminately bombing, carpet bombing civilian uh, buildings, hospitals, schools. Vladimir Putin is doing everything possible to uh, preserve life. Uh, but on that note, uh, without further ado, I'm very, very pleased to welcome uh, to TNT Radio to continue the conversation on the war zones, on the conflicts, uh, Zindanov from the Slavyangrad uh, Telegram channel. Zindanov, welcome to TNT Radio. Oh, good evening. Oh, it's morning here, of course. Uh, so I've been wanting to talk to you about, uh, you made an important point just now about how the coverage in 
the war now is so different from previous periods where you have that up to minute reporting or that, you know, constant updates, video feed from the battlefield. And we're kind of seeing now a waning of support for Ukraine in the West. Um, obviously, there's still lots of statements about unending support for Ukraine, for Kiev, for Zelensky. And but we're also seeing some of the, the flow of money and weapons slow down. We're seeing the battles in the American Congress over uh, funding for Kiev. And I think that there's an accelerated process going on now because there's something called uh, the Gelman amnesia effect. And that refers to when you open the newspaper and you read an article about a subject that you are educated about, that you know a lot about, you sort of notice the errors, you notice the mistakes, you notice the exaggerations and sometimes the outright manipulation. But then when you flip the page to a subject that you don't know anything about or you don't know much about, you assume that the same periodical is speaking with some sense of authority, like they know what they're talking about and you can trust what they're saying. So, so it's kind of like one moment, you know that everything you're reading is rubbish, but then you turn the page and you think that you're getting the truth. Uh, the United States, I, which is a country I can speak for, has that relationship with warfare, where in the short term, you get this kind of jingoistic gung-ho attitude about we have to defeat the enemy, we have to, you know, rah-rah, you know, our side is the good side and the enemy is just evil and we're going to win. Uh, but if you noticed over time, the United States tends to get tired of every war. They tend to get really interested in a war. And then after a period of time, they start to nuance starts to enter the equation. They start to the, figure the, the, out the current thing cycle is over and the new current thing comes along. Right, right, right. But it, it used to take a lot longer. Like uh, the war in Iraq uh, had majority support for a period. And then again, once nuance and understanding kicks in and people start to understand what's really going on there and they start to understand, well, you know, we, we saw the enemy as just this evil entity, and now we know more about them and more about how we got here. And now we're not feeling so gung-ho about this anymore. And you see even the support for the conflict in Afghanistan. I mean, it went from, you know, post 9-11, a 90 plus percent support for invading Afghanistan and uh, for military conflict there. It, it took a while. I mean, you know, almost 20 years later, uh, you know, when the Taliban took over Afghanistan again, people were almost, you know, even if people were upset, they they were like, we're not going back in. We're not going to fight that conflict anymore. We're done. And, you know, support for any kind of military action Afga in Afghanistan dropped below 50 percent years before that even happened. Uh, now, this is happening at a very accelerated pace in Ukraine, where suddenly, again, you know, it went from a time where most Americans probably couldn't point to Ukraine on a map to a period where now I think most people are starting to really understand what's going on. So you're seeing public support for um, funding bills for Ukraine start to lose a lot of interest. It starts basically all of that public support is starting to wane, even if the political class is still saying, hey, we have to back Ukraine. The people are kind of backing off. 
uh, again, it's, it's sort of, you know, once Americans can are faced with any level of nuance, they tend to lose their uh, desire to, you know, just see the enemy as this evil entity that needs to be destroyed. And I think it is because of the day to day reporting, the video feed from the battlefield uh, that this process is, is accelerating. It's not going to take 20 years like it took in Afghanistan or the five to eight years that it took in Iraq. I mean, it, it's happening within a couple of years. So, and I, I also think that the timing of the conflict uh, between Israel and Palestine has also sped up this process because, you know, Americans are a little more familiar with the Israeli-Palestinian issue. I mean, not, you know, there's plenty of uneducated people out there who don't know much about it, but I think, you know, people on both sides take a nuanced approach. If, I mean, of course, at Slavian grad, uh, we oppose imperialism, we oppose, we oppose colonialism, we oppose, we definitely stand for the people of Palestine. Well, it's, uh, it's 100%. It's to the point where American uh, patriots or government, uh, government uh, opinion makers and, uh, and analysts, and even they are forced to concede that the unprecedented amounts of US military aid in terms of weapons, shells, and uh, military equipment are now to the critical point where they're actually draining the uh, United States' own military capabilities. So it's one thing where they were giving secondhand tanks and Bradleys and old equipment from NATO stockpiles that they had. But now it's to the point where the war has expanded so much. A uh, front line, which is the biggest front line ever since 1945 in Europe. But the Americans are actually feeling the impact of the war on their own military. Of course, that's great news for the American military industrial complex. I mean, they're laughing there. Uh, and all of this money, which is being which they're trying to approve in Congress, it's not actually going to go to Ukraine. It's not actually going to go to helping people there who are now, as we saw this morning, uh, shocking scenes in Chernigov, a city in the north of Ukraine, people lining up in the freezing cold just for bread. That's how difficult the situation is. But the money which is being approved uh, through Congress or being blocked now, should I say, uh, by American patriots, notably from the Republican side, this money doesn't go to Ukraine. This money goes to the American military-industrial complex, the big corporations, the, uh, the large and powerful weapons manufacturing companies to replenish their stocks, to provide more weapons, more contracts at inflated prices, and that's the name of the game. It's all a big business. The current right. request uh, before uh, the House includes $105 billion in security assistance uh, for uh, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, uh, and the United States southern border. So then the chunk of that, the majority is $61 billion for Ukraine. In comparison, only $6.4 billion is being earmarked for the U.S. border operations. So how, how, do, how do Americans, how do American patriots, I'm sure you consider yourself an American patriot, how do they react to uh, an attempt by uh, pro-Ukrainian, pro-Zelensky actors in Washington to send 10 times more money to defend Zelensky's border than the United States is prepared to spend defending its own border on the South? And that is a major problem. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, that makes people very upset. I, I do remember the political wrangling over the border wall funding. And regardless of how you feel about Trump, regardless of how you feel about the effectiveness of a border wall, or if you think that's a moral or ethical thing to do, I, I distinctly remember them considering $8 billion of funding to be something that was ridiculous. I, I remember them actually saying that, oh, if we appropriate this $8 billion, we're going to have to make painful, horrible cuts to the rest of the budget and that this money just doesn't exist or, you know, we're going to have to, you know, cut necessary services to the bone to fund this $8 billion. I mean, originally he wanted $20 billion, they pared it down to $8 billion, And then I think they didn't even spend anywhere near that, but they were, you know, crying and shouting about how much money this was. And then it's, oh, here's $100 billion for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. It, it stop. It makes people stop and think, which is well. With with the uh, United States presidential elections coming up in 2024, it'll be interesting for us to uh, discuss where do the different presidential candidates stand. Because there's much talk about in Russia. I can say confirm from first hand basis that a lot of Russians are hoping that once they get rid of Biden, things will improve. Uh, but we'll continue that conversation. Don't go away. Stay tuned right after this break on TNT Radio. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNT Radio. Live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Well, before the break, we started the conversation on uh, the US presidential elections in 2024 and what impact they would have on the Russia Ukraine conflict. And it's no doubt that there's a direct uh, hope from all sides. The Zelensky side is hoping that there'll be a candidate who'll be sympathetic to the Nazi regime in Kiev. Uh, the Russian side is hoping there'll be a presidential uh, candidate elect that will be uh, sympathetic to the position of negotiation and a de-escalation and an end to funding and providing weapons to the conflict. Joining us now uh, on the line from the United States is editor of the Slavian Grad information channel on Telegram, uh, Zindanov. Zindanov, uh, you as an American you would know uh, the sentiment. You would know what's going on on the ground. You've got a very good insight. Uh, we know that Biden, of course, is a strong supporter of Ukraine. He's a blind supporter of Ukraine. Uh, and Republican candidates uh, 
for the presidential election have been airing a wide range of views. Uh, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley is a strong supporter of US aid to Ukraine, uh, while mm. former President Donald Trump and Florida government, uh, for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are completely against it. Uh, what's your uh, view? What What are the hopes? What are the uh, predictions? Uh, which candidates uh, are for a continuation of the Nazi regime in Kiev and which are uh, for peace, stability, and negotiated settlement out of the conflict. Right. Well, as as you mentioned, Nikki Haley and the neocon set are very much for an escalation. Uh, there's definitely a hope that Trump, which is the obvious front runner for the Republican Party, is going to re resist any more funding for Ukraine. And I don't put my specific faith in any politician. But I do see that I, I, if, a, if a Trump victory would not necessarily mean a, for example, would not necessarily mean a principled stand against funding for Kiev, so much as it would mean it, it would be a complication in the political system. And, and that's sort of like what we're seeing in the Republican Party right now, where they're not really taking so much of a principled stand against supporting Kiev. It, it's more of political gamesmanship. But that political gamesmanship, I think, does have the positive effect of slowing down this war machine. I, I think that and sometimes when American voters, you know, go to the polls, they will vote for an upset candidate, uh, especially if they're unhappy with what's going on. They'll vote for a candidate that they know will be kind of like a Molotov cocktail they can throw into the system. And I think that all of this politics it sort of gums up the works and slows things down quite a bit. And we're seeing that now with these funding bills for Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan. Uh, it, it's definitely the, the political gamesmanship sometimes can have a positive effect if you don't like what's happening. So, I, I mean, obviously, on the other side, you have Biden and and the Democrats who who I think are all in on Ukraine. But recently, a point was made that in a sense, if let's say the Democrats were able to come to an agreement with the Republicans and get Ukraine its money, you know, before the Christmas break, which they ended up failing to do, but let's say they had accomplished that and Ukraine continued to fail on the battlefield, that would actually hurt the Democrats in the next election because now the failure, the money spent combined with the failure would now be a political. Uh, argument that the Republicans can make in the next election, whereas by not working with the Republican Party and allowing the funding for Ukraine to fail before the Christmas break, now they can go into the next election saying, well, Ukraine's failing on the battlefield, but it's because the Republicans didn't support them hard enough. And, and so, again, you can see how principles almost kind of take a back seat to political gamesmanship a lot of the time. I mean, it's, it's just politics. I mean, it's an unavoidable aspect of the system. Um, so I, I do probably come off as pretty cynical about the political process. And uh, it's hard for me to stand behind any politician. Uh, but there, there's clearly people who it will be better for the world to get into office, uh, regardless of even what their principles are. Uh, if, if you look at it from a... Um, Machiavellian standpoint somewhat, 
I, I definitely think that, you know, Trump is the obvious front runner for the Republican Party and him getting into office would massively slow down the war machine, at least in Ukraine. I, I'm not 100 percent sure where he would stand on, say, funding for Israel. Um, I'm pretty sure he's pretty much all behind that, uh, unfortunately. And I don't think I mean, obviously, I, I I think he's made statements recently about the Palestinian people, but I think that he has far more of an in, of an intrinsic support for Israel that I think will ensure that Israel gets their money and weapons, while maybe Ukraine will completely fall into the back seat. Um, and well, that's I interesting. Think- I'll stop you there. That that point you bring up. Trump had uh, lost a little bit of support, I know, in uh, political circles uh, around me. Uh, people that previously were quite sympathetic to Trump, uh, mm. they were disaffected with his support of Israel. But mm. uh, if you were looking at the position from a Russian position, uh, it's not too bad because the more Trump supports Israel, I mean, how does that support translate to actual uh, reality, uh, uh, actual measures that the measures of support would be more money for Israel, less money for Ukraine, more weapons for Israel, less weapons for Ukraine. The priority for uh, funding and support to Israel, political support to Israel, military support to Israel. So, mm-hmm. without being cynical and without uh, trying to sound uh, uh, un- unsensitive to the uh, needs and the plight and the tragic circumstances which the Palestinian people find themselves in, it appears that uh, Donald Trump's uh, support to Israel would be very, very uh, detrimental to the interests of the Zelensky uh, regime, in a way. If I correct in that thesis? Yes, yes. And, and also, like I said, you know how the political gamesmanship occurs. I mean, the more Trump supports Israel, I mean, that would probably mean the less the Democrats would support. I mean, the Democrats will probably always support Israel, but but it, again, it becomes a political football. Like Trump supports Israel, that makes the Democrats take a more nuanced position on Israel, at least temporarily. Uh, and again, this is the nature of American politics where, you know, one, one side says red, the other side says blue. It's just they, they, they sort of automatically have to take every position of the opposite side and turn it into some kind of ultimate evil or something like that, which I don't think the Democrats will do that with Israel. I mean, they will, they'll, the, both political parties in the United States are pretty much support Israel. I, I think I made the comment the other day that in American elections uh, on the Israel issue, you have to decide, do you, do you want to vote for someone who really loves Israel or someone who really, really loves Israel? Like there, there's not really a, a candidate that opposes Zionism. And unfortunately, uh, that's the reality of the situation. But I think that usually when you have a Republican in office who has uh, more of a sympathy with the more militant part of the right wing factions of the Israeli government, you see people on the left taking a much more nuanced perspective. And and you see the and, and I'm mostly talking about the political class. I mean, your rank and file leftist probably takes a very pro-Palestinian stance, you know, out of opposition to colonialism, imperialism, and, you know, just generally the history of crimes committed by the Israeli state. Uh, And 
you know, you, you even have a divide within Israel, uh, you know, between these factions, between the, the more militant factions, conservative factions, and the factions that are more amenable to this idea that Israel doesn't need to be this, you know, Zionist em- imperial force. Uh, I mean, you see the protests even happening within Israel to that effect. Um, so, like I said, it, the, the political gamesmanship becomes a major factor in, in all of these conflicts. And you, you almost have to look beyond what they're they're saying because you know that their principles even will change based on the uh, political realities of the moment. And you'll, you'll sort of see that because you know, no, neither party can allow the other party to have a win or look like the other party is doing something smart or intelligent or, you, you know, I mean, when you do get uh, bipartisanship, it's usually quick and short term and surrounding very specific issues uh, that usually involves sort of, you know, taking away people's freedom and things like that. That's usually when you get that kind of bipartisanship. But like I said, I, I don't think that there's any candidate who who ideologically aligns with myself. And I think most Americans feel that way. Like there's no candidate that ideologically aligns with yourself. You have to kind of think uh, sort of just practically when you go to vote. And I think most Americans do. There we go. We've got a comment in the comment section, which I'm more than happy to read out. Again, you don't have to be a yes man to bring up this show. Uh, we're more than happy to take calls from people that uh, want to uh, get something off their chest and they're not happy about something. But uh, Lulu1984 from the comment section says, uh, Aussie Kozak, why are you still calling yourself an Aussie? I thought you were so proud of your new Russian passport and being Russian. You know longer an Australian citizen once you step out of that embassy. You did know that, didn't you? That once you accepted that Russian passport, they could now revoke your Australian citizenship and charge you as a foreign terrorist. Under terrorist legislation, before the Russian citizenship, they couldn't. Not a smart move there, commie Cossack. Well, there you go. I read that comment out, and I'd love for Lulu1984, give us a call right now on 1-800-670-310, and we can chat about that. Uh, if you, uh, Lulu, if you stand by your words and you're not just a couch warrior uh, sitting there behind a keyboard, give us a call. Let's talk about it on the air. And uh, you can face the man you call uh, Komi Kozak. I'm very friendly. I don't bite. And I'm more than happy to listen to your views and why do you think I should be charged by the Australian government with uh, foreign terrorist uh, offences under terrorist legislation? Um, Zindanov, this is the craziness that we've got in Australia now. I was given Russian citizenship uh, two months ago by order of the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. And ever since then, yeah. there seems to be a faction in Australia of people that think that uh, now that I'm a dual citizen, it's appropriate to uh, revoke my Australian citizenship. And look, as an American, what what do you make of all of this, that we're, what's going on here in our situation in Australia? Well, I, I didn't want to speak for, for you, but I, I mean, when the first part of that question where he says, like, why are you still calling yourself Aussie? I mean, you, you are Australian. And I mean, it's obviously a part of who you are. I mean, like, I'm, I'm still an American. I mean, I definitely disagree with my government. I definitely, you, you know, oppose what my government's doing. I've I've made it a big part of my personal existence to oppose what my government is doing every single day. And I'm still an American. It's still a part of who I am. And I think that 
you, you know, in both of our countries, I mean, we, we hope to affect positive change within our countries. We, we, we both hope to change the minds of people within our countries. You know, and and I, I feel like that was it's a pretty ridiculous comment, but it's the Internet. I mean, we get we get the commie label a lot to a Slavian grad, which some of that is the fault of some of the imagery. Not well, going to lie. Well, look, look we spend the whole first part of the program talking about the fact that, you know, I'm a monarchist and I love the Russian Empire. Now they're calling mm -hmm. me a commie Cossack. I mean, how can a Cossack even be a commie? commie? I mean, Lulu doesn't know history that the commies actually wiped the Cossacks out. But anyway, we've got another uh, couple of questions in the comment section uh, flying in. A uh, shout out to Nagasaki Nightmare in the United States. He says, Aussie Kozak, thanks for the uh, shout out to Slavyangrad. Assyrian Truth says, nice to see you back. Uh, quite a few people tuned in on YouTube watching. And uh, Paul Petit, one of our old regular listeners, says, Simeon is an Australian. Uh, thank you very much for all your support in the comment section. Uh, one of uh, our person uh, callers has uh, called through. I'm not sure if it's Lulu. Uh, uh, you're listening to Teen Teen Radio. How can we help you? Hello. Hello. Welcome. Hello. It's Liz from Melbourne. Liz from Melbourne. We were expecting Lulu, but it's Liz from Melbourne. Liz, lovely to hear your voice. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, Simeon. How are you? Excellent. Did you hear that uh, commentary from Lulu 1984? What do you think of what she said? That the Aussie oh. Cossack should be charged with terrorist offences and have his Australian citizenship revoked. You know what? She probably listens too much to the mainstream media, which, you know, the sheep will do. It's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, one of the things I, I wanted to just uh, say that um, has been omitted with um, the American politics, what about RFK Jr.? I heard that RFK Jr. was planning to do a trip to Australia. There's been a few American uh, so-called stars that were supposed to uh, come to Australia. Uh, one of them was uh, Trump Jr., RFK Jr. There was speculation that maybe even uh, old mate Tucker Carlson might actually fly to Australia. And I have to say this, that I've heard from uh, the grapevine, the Bush Telegraph, that the organisers of those events uh, we're selling tickets, some tickets as much as 2,600 Australian dollars for so-called VIP seats to see uh, these VIPs like RFK uh, uh, Kennedy Jr., uh, JFK, RFK, I'm not even sure what exactly what his correct name oh, is. I'm RFK, not, yeah, RFK. Uh, RFK. So, and and these, some of these tickets being sold for huge amounts of money. And uh, in fact, some of my listeners have complained uh, saying that the organisers have been very difficult. So if you're the organiser of that concert, or not that concert, those tours, I'm not going to name you on the air, but you know who you are. You know who you yeah. are. And uh, if that is the case, if these American stars are cancelling and cancelling or postponing, well, just refund those Australians who were willing to support your event to pay $2,600 for some type of a exclusive VIP ticket where you get to sit in the front row as opposed to the back row or have a five-minute handshake with them. A little bit outrageous, isn't it, uh, Liz? Oh, it's just ridiculous. It's like what uh, uh, they did to David Icke. You know, he was about to come out to Australia, one-man show, um, called him, you know, anti semi-pissed and, and didn't let him come through the um he had a sold out concert um in australia just a one man you know um guy that's just talking about everyday events i mean i i wouldn't pay 2600 to see anyone um you know vip or anything 
uh, that's where I just think mainstream media, this Lulu, whatever she said about her, is just ridiculous. Um, you know me about Vladimir Putin. I'm the one that says he's the world's greatest leader and a gentleman. Um, people well, need that, to wake up. Very good, Liz. Look, it's great to uh, uh, hear your opinion, and I'd love to hear Liz from Melbourne and Lulu uh, have a little debate on the air. And it's good that uh, a local mum uh, from Melbourne named Liz is always willing to ring up the show and. Uh, Defend the Aussie Cossack. Thank you very much, Liz. We'll leave it there and we'll get back to our American guest, uh, Zinda North uh, from the United States. There you go. An Aussie mum from Melbourne named Liz Zinda North has rushed to my defence. It's a great feeling mm. to have such uh, good, uh, loyal and active listeners, isn't it? Right. I was going to say I'd rather speak with Liz than Lulu. Oh, well, look, Liz is great, but uh, you know what makes good radio when there's a bit of conflict on the air? So we've got right. so many great listeners, and they're going to ring up and they're going to say, Ozzy Kozak, love your show, love Vladimir Putin, love Russia, love this, love that, don't like COVID vaccines, don't like Albo, you know, love freedom, love freedom of speech, fantastic, and we love you all as well. Uh, but come on, Lulu, bring it on, give us a call. Why should the Ozzy Kozak be charged with terrorism offences? Well, where have I inside terrorism? That's like on Slavian grad when I do live streams. I'm, I'm always waiting for someone to come in and try to argue with me. doesn't really ever happen. Uh, I think I've had maybe a couple of people try to troll me, but it's usually just embarrassing, uh, you know, just just sort of like sh like shouting into a microphone kind of thing. And it's so pointless. But yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of that thing where you run into people who are generally agreeing with you a lot, but, you know, you, you want to have that debate. You want to kind of change somebody's mind. Yeah, well, you've got a great community on your channel, Slavengrad, and you've got a good team of uh, volunteers and experts that have been working tirelessly, as you have since the beginning of the Special Liberation. All I can say uh, to you and your colleagues uh, in the West who have uh, made the right decision, chosen the right side in this conflict, you will be on the right side of history. You are on the right side of history. And all I can say is that Russia does not forget its friends and those who were honourable in the time of uh, need and in a time where Russia uh, needed that assistance and it didn't ask for your assistance, you came to uh, your position uh, through an absolutely organic process. You saw what was wrong and saw what was right and decided to defend what was right. So Zindanov, uh, I want to thank you and thank your team and thank all of the English-speaking uh, bloggers, journalists, social media uh, commentators all over the world who are doing an excellent job in making the information war a little bit more balanced because in the beginning of the conflict, it was extremely anti-Russian. I think now exactly. we're at a position where the tide is turning, uh, the world is waking up to the fact that Zelensky is a Nazi and he needs to go. Thank you, Zindanov. You're listening to Team Team Radio. You. We're going to be back after the break. Stay tuned with Sean Ambrose, who's an Australian veteran, and he's got some very strong words to say about the deployment of Australian Navy overseas. Uh, you're listening to Team Team Radio, Saturday night, Aussie Kozak. Don't go away. Uh, be right back after the break. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I think we have a big problem globally with the perception that people have, especially with people who I think are quite intelligent, they're well-off, they're well-meaning, and yet they have bought into the whole man-made climate change scam. I was at a holiday party last night, and a lady that was there had a Tesla, and I have nothing against Tesla. So I was asking her, well, how long does it take you to charge a Tesla? She says, five hours. 
that's in her garage. And I said, well, what if you're traveling cross country? She says, I'll look up rapid charging station. I said, okay, okay. And how long does that take? A half hour. So let me get this straight. You have to plan your trip so that you will stop for a half hour at charging stations. You have to go look along the route. I mean, I travel across the United States all the time. It takes me three minutes to fill my tank for 400 miles, not a half hour to recharge it. And what's interesting is it's tough enough to figure out which hotel to stay in as opposed to trying to find a charging station. But if you have a lot of money, that's fine. But things got sort of sticky at the end of the party to a point where my wife actually grabbed me and said, come on, let's go. When the lady said to me, well, I'm doing my part to stop CO2 from warming the atmosphere. Again, what bothers me is that she's very intelligent. I've had this encounter with a lot of intelligent people that they have actually been brainwashed. So we got a whole lot of work to do to try to at least get people to understand what's going on and to look at it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. You're with the Ozzy Cossack on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, if there's one profession in this country in Australia that has the right to send our diggers to war, to send our troops to war, to send Australian Navy ships to war to deploy them to conflict zones. It's those people that actually are the ones that end up going there, the ones who end up fighting in the wars, they end up being wounded and dying or coming home back to Australia with PTSD and mental health issues. It's the veterans. The veterans are the ones who should have their say. And unfortunately, in all of this uh, argy-bargy and this talk and this rhetoric in the news in the last few days of whether or not Australia should commit to another war, another war, can I say, we've already got Australian troops uh, in Europe training Ukrainian conscripts, um, we've got uh, Australian uh, AWACS uh, surveillance aircraft flying around Europe, supposedly monitoring humanitarian aid, I mean what a load of bollocks, who's supposed to believe that? We've got plenty of Australian mercenaries on the ground uh, in the Ukraine getting killed and I've talked about it before, do not go there. As an Australian, it breaks my heart to, to see and find out that Australians are being brainwashed. And it's it's mostly former defence uh, personnel, so it's mostly veterans who somewhere or another are brainwashed into going and fighting as mercenaries for the Ukrainian regime. And I have spoken about that. And in an effort to save their lives, I have said that I'm willing to offer myself as uh, an exchange as a prisoner exchange, should a mercenary from Australia be captured, 
And my instruction to a mercenary from Australia, if you are in a position where you're captured, uh, there's a very high chance you will be killed because you're a mercenary. The Geneva Convention does not cover you. You're not actually a combatant. You're not fighting for the local government. You're a person who's traveled to a war zone to fight for American dollars. Therefore, the best thing you can do if you're in a position to be about to be captured or killed, say, I want to be exchanged for the Aussie Cossack. And I'm saying that not in a uh, way to incite uh, danger to Australians, Far from that, far from that, that could actually save your life. If a Russian officer, if a Russian soldier was to learn that you're an Australian mercenary uh, and you give him that code word, just say Aussie Cossack, you could save your life. Sean Ambrose joins us on the line. He's a veteran. Sean, how are you, mate? I'm good, Simeon. How are you? No, not too bad, thanks. Mate, you heard what I said there. Uh, some people have said that my words uh, in relating to mercenaries and calling for the media said that I was calling for the capture of Australians. But how do you as a veteran interpret my position when it comes to uh, a, a potential prisoner exchange? Yeah, uh, look, Simeon, look, I think I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I would not want to be an Australian soldier, you know, a, a mercenary, and be captured over there in the Ukraine. And because I, I can tell you where they're going to end up. They'll end up in a, in a gulag in Siberia or somewhere, you know, and that's and that's after they've been interrogated. Um, well, that's the, that, that's that's best case scenario. See, with this conflict from the very beginning, mercenaries are not really treated with the same uh, approach as Ukrainian uh, mobilized conscripts are. If the Ukrainian man is forcibly conscripted, he's arrested and he's sent into battle against the Russians. The Russians completely understand what's going on. They take them prisoner, feed them, clothe them, and they send them home back to their families and they look after them because they need to uh, show that they're not there to kill Ukrainians. But if the Russians discover mercenaries fighting, mercenaries who are using NATO weapons, who are conducting missile strikes, high-mass high missile strikes, drones, cruise missiles, and so forth, the Russians, especially... Uh, on the front line in the heat of battle, they discover an American patch or a foreign patch or a NATO patch on someone's uniform. The conversation is very, very short, and it won't be uh, uh, in English or in Russian. It'll be in the language of Kalashnikov. <laughs> You're right, Simi. Well, that, that, that's I'm saying that as a very polite way of saying, do not do it. Don't yeah. travel. In fact, my advice is consistent with the Australian government's advice. The Australian government also says, do not do it. Don't travel to the war zone. Don't join the Ukrainian uh, Nazi regime as a mercenary because they're going to throw you out to dry anyway. The Ukrainians don't care about you either. And so many mercenaries have been killed from all over the world, notably from Poland, from the United Kingdom, from the United States, from Colombia. Uh, huge amounts of mercenaries have been killed. And there's not many mercenaries that are actually taken prisoner. So I suppose, uh, Sean, for those commentators, for those people in the mainstream media who tried to accuse uh, me of um, inciting harm against Australians who were fighting over there, as uh, Senator James Patterson put it, in the, in the uh, national interests of Australia, I, I disagree with that. I completely refute that. Not inside harm. In fact, try to save their lives, leave their country, don't fight there, come home to Australia, don't be silly. If you do get into a situation where you uh, are at the junction of either being taken prisoner or being killed, you do have a chance to live. I would more than happily, gladly volunteer myself to bring home uh, 
a misguided Australian mercenary. Because a lot of these guys, right, who go over there and fight, they're young, they're impressionable, they're often connected to far right wing ideology. A lot of them are involved in you know, far right stuff, Nazi things. That's why they're attracted to the whole Ukrainian Nazi situation. And that's why they go and join these mercenary teams, this foreign legion, the Georgian foreign legion, the Azov battalion. And these people, uh, that's what drives them. It's either that or it's money. Now, either of those things are very bad. They're both dishonorable causes. And they have to understand that they're going to an area of the world which has nothing to do with them. Uh, it's not your fight. You don't have a dog in that fight. Keep out of it. Uh, Sean, is that a fair thing to say? You're a veteran. Serves in the yes, I mean, look, you're absolutely right. We should we should not be, we shouldn't have anything to do with this, you know, this uh, conflict in the Ukraine. That's none of our business. But for, for our people, they should not be going there. And... This is not East Timor, you know. This is not this is not the Solomon Islands, or you know, this is not some some holiday in the South Pacific. This is this is serious stuff, you know. And and um, Russia are probably the most advanced military in the world, and and probably the best trained, you know. Um, and to go over there and think that you're going to, you know, save save the Ukraine, or or and we all know that the Ukraine is is a cesspool, you know. It's a swamp of depravity and corruption, and we all know what's going on over there. But to for these people. They are completely misguided. They think they're going over there to, you know, to liberate the place. Um, when, it, when in actual fact, they're just propping up this putrid system. You know, this whole putrid, corrupt regime. And the media, the, the mainstream media in this country and around the world, they need to start telling the truth about what is actually happening in the Ukraine. I mean, biological weapons facilities on Russia's borders. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine if a if a if a nation put biological weapons facilities on the border, you know, in Mexico, on the border with, with the United States or in Cuba, for instance. I mean, the Americans would be going off their heads about that. But, of course, it's it's just really bizarre stuff um, that, you know, we have this we have this corrupt media in this country peddling this narrative that, you know, poor Ukraine. Um, it's, it's just really bizarre stuff. But any my message to any australian who's contemplating going to the ukraine don't go chances are you won't come back that's it it's a one-way ticket um it is just utterly bizarre stuff and that you know as for james patterson i mean he, he's probably the biggest imbecile in the australian parliament i mean how the, how the, i don't think that bloke's ever had a job in his you know an actual real job in his life you know, no you're right his, his career being in the liberal party started very young and as a young liberal and ever since he was a young liberal he's been a clerk a secretary he's been a liberal party functionary he's never actually been in the workforce the bloke's never held a shovel he's never done a hard day's work he's always been what what it would be known uh, to us as a liberal party stooge and he's worked his way uh, to the position of a senator and uh, he is the uh senate uh shadow minister i believe it is uh, for foreign in interference into social media, which is why he's takes he's takes such a keen interest in my persona. Right? It's all about ah, oh, Simeon Boykov, Aussie Cossack foreign interference. Here he is saying this. Here he is saying that. And Simon Patterson has a problem with me. Uh, James Patterson. Uh, I confuse him with Simon Birmingham. That's another piece of work, very similar. <laughs> and David Van's another one. Senator David Van from Victoria. And hasn't he gone quiet since being uh, accused of sexual assault in Parliament? Yeah, uh, he's just disappeared off the radar. So all of these characters 
They all have something in common. They all support Ukraine and they all hate Aussie Cossack. Now, going back to what this uh, character Lulu was saying in the comments, that I should be charged with some terrorism type offences and have my Australian citizenship revoked. Uh, Sean, you've known me for many years, uh, since the days of the uh, pushback against lockdowns when we were on the streets campaigning for our freedoms. Uh, I was there shoulder to shoulder with all the uh, Australian patriots fighting for Australia, fighting for Australians. Now, all of a sudden, they want to say, I'll revoke his Australian citizenship because he's sympathetic to Russia. Well, what do you make of that, Sean? I, just, I mean, it's just utterly disgusting, you know, like these people have obviously got nothing better to do. And, Simeon, you know, you've been standing up for people for a long time, you know, like how long now, what, three, four years, you know. Um, yeah, you know I've known you. I think you're, I, I think you're like a brother, you know, you're a great bloke. Um, but these people, obviously, Simeon, you're rattling the cage. They can't control you. They can't contain you. And uh, you're doing good work. But, you know, as for these members of parliament, I mean, Section 44 of the Australian Constitution is quite explicit in that a member of parliament cannot have an obedience, an allegiance or an adherence to a foreign power. But yet here we are, the likes of Senator Patterson and, and the rest of the filth in Canberra are conspiring with foreign powers. The World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the United Nations would, by definition, constitute a foreign power. Well, there you go. There you go. That's a good point. David Van, Senator David Van, uh, been to Ukraine. He's been there, photographed in Ukrainian military uniform with Ukrainian insignia, which looks suspiciously similar to the insignia of the Western Ukrainian uh, SS Galicia Division. Uh, it was later then uh, found out that that insignia uh, is a Ukrainian unit which uh, has its insignia based on that division. So still very clear links to Ukrainian military, Ukrainian Nazis. This is an active Australian senator dressing up in foreign uh, combat fatigues, wearing foreign patches in a foreign war zone. He was even criticised by his own government saying, you weren't authorised to travel there. And he said, oh, I went on, tra travelled off my own bat. He goes there, he then asks for more Bushmasters, for more weapons, for more 777 artillery systems. And these are the senators who then have the gall to accuse the Aussie Cossack of foreign interference. I have never interfered in uh, Australian military dealings as these guys have. I have never called upon Australians to be killed or be sent overseas. Far from it. I've said surrender, save your lives, go home, go back to Australia, keep away from the war zone. These guys are about promoting war, and you're exactly right, Sean. I'm glad you, as a veteran, as an Australian patriot, can see that these guys uh, in Parliament, the Birminghams, the Pattersons, the David Vans, uh, they are the ones who are under foreign influence. They're influenced by the Israeli lobby. They're influenced by the United States lobby. Who do they answer to? Who's paying their bills? Who's taking them to dinner? Who's shouting them hotels? Who's taking them to dubious places? For example, I wouldn't be surprised if they're involved in similar Epstein Island style scenarios because they can never break through the allegiance uh, that they have to the military industrial complex, whether it's in Australia, in Canberra, getting contracts, buying uh, inflated uh, American uh, military goods, billions of dollars for secondhand items. But we, we know all about that. Unfortunately, we're going to run out of time. We've only got one minute left. Sean, thank you for joining us tonight. It's always great to have the opinion of a veteran. At the end of the day, if we're going to go to war, if they're going to send Australian ships, Australian troops, they need to ask the veterans first, because these are the people who are going to be uh, facing uh, the battles, the hardship, and that's what the government simply does not think about. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining uh, me tonight. Uh, the Aussie Cossack Show 
two hours non-stop uh, broadcasting from the Russian consulate. One year anniversary. Shout out to everyone listening via Telegram, YouTube, Twitter, X. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Uh, catch me during the week, 4.20 every day, Sydney time, uh, with Dean McKinn for an update Monday to Fridays. Uh, that would be, I think, uh, 5.10, 5.10 Sydney time, 4.20 Brisbane time. Have a great evening.